name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Can you name that movie quote? There's a movie about 30 years ago called The Usual Suspects that quoted that. But it's actually a much earlier quote from the early 1800s in different words. But the greatest trick that the devil ever did was convincing the world that he didn't exist. In the gospel, we have a story of demonic possession. Or is it? In the English translation, and most all of the translations in the last hundred years, it says that the boy is epileptic. He has a neurological disorder that causes seizures. So why are we calling a neurological order, disorder a demonic possession? I've always wondered that. I never really looked at the Greek. Because epilepsy is a Greek word, and it means to have seizures. And it's a, a very old Greek word, but that's not the word that's in the gospel. The word that is in the gospel is sil siliniazete, a lunatic, crazy, possessed. If you look in the older Greek translation, or the older English translations, it says something like that. The boy was a lunatic. The word is actually very descriptive because selini means moon. So it's almost like moonstruck or in a craze you could imagine. That's what's being described in the Greek. And so in English it was translated in a way that helps us to understand the insanity that the boy was experiencing. But somewhere along the way, translators more recently decided we need to explain this better so we'll describe it as epilepsy. Because saying someone is a possessed lunatic is not something that we say in this day and age. Yet that's what the Greek says. So why does all of this matter? Not because we all need to understand Greek or read the gospel in Greek by any means, but because our enemy, who is literally invisible, has made himself spiritually, psychologically, mentally invisible to us all. So much so that even Bible translators gloss over and redefine words because of their skeptical minds. You see, our enemy has pulled a great trick indeed. And even talking about demons, it's like we Christians kind of have to talk shyly about it. Oh yeah, demons. Or we might excuse it. Or maybe perhaps we don't understand our faith well enough and we might say, well, those are just sort of manifestations of our evil tendencies. The devil is real. Demons are real. This is what is emphatically shown within the gospel account. All of this is very real. And it's only we moderns who have any sense of skepticism, of doubt, because we have had it so fully ingrained into our minds, these things aren't real, these things don't exist. Or it's just sort of my mind, my own mind thinking in this way that causes me to sin. 
which is not to say that medical conditions are not medical conditions. But when we change words in the translation to align it with a medical condition rather than a demonic possession, we have a problem. But I don't just want to talk about the gospel here and about people who are demon-possessed, because if I say that phrase, again, our other tendency, if we want to accept it as being real, is to think of things like Hollywood movies and horror movies about spinning heads and different sights and scary things. This is not what we understand. The kind of possession that occurs, occurs in each and every one of us. Every one of us struggles with demons, struggles with fighting against the devil. We all have our own form of possession. Who of you has no sin that you don't have complete control over? We all have sins which we are enslaved to. Those things where we say, I wish I couldn't, but I do. Again and again and again. And so often, these struggles that we have inside of ourselves, these struggles we have with our own brokenness, with our own sin, our doubt, our worry, our fear, our anger, whatever it may be, it's an internal struggle. And that internal struggle manifests itself as what we might call a monologue inside of our heads, talking to ourselves. Whether we're giving ourselves a pep talk, we're saying, come on, you can get over this, you can do this. More likely, we're saying, why did you do that again? Why did you hurt that person again? Why do you keep on falling into this sin? All of these ways in which we're having a continuous monologue inside of our heads. But we can't have a monologue. There's no such thing as a monologue. There's a dialogue. We're having a dialogue inside of our heads. And we need to begin to realize this. Because if we recognize it's a dialogue, then the next question is begged. With whom? With whom are we talking? Because we so often understand it as I'm talking to myself. If we really revealed the insanity of what's going on inside of our heads, it would be horrific. But don't worry, everyone around you has the same insanity inside their heads. And so often we might have a real person-to-person -person dialogue with someone, and all during that we're having another dialogue in our head, and the other person is having another dialogue inside of their head. And all of the insanity goes around. And we accept it as normal. This is who I am. How could I turn off my mind? We can't even imagine how to do such a thing. But we have this conversation in our heads. And this conversation in our head, if we can be very honest about it, is not very helpful, to say the least. It's extremely harmful. For some of us, it's conversations that exalt us up high. Oh, you're so good at that. Oh, look, the people like you. Oh, look. I get this and that because of my accomplishments. Or it might be a lot more subtle than I'm giving fan of the exaggerated language. And for our, some of us, it's down into the pit of despair. You're worthless. You can't fix this. You're just going to keep on doing this forever. 
look your worst than everyone else around you. The extremes, the extremes. The, the extreme of pride, the extreme of despair. And all of this is going on inside of us at all times. And some of it flipping back and forth between these so quickly. There's a wonderful little vignette here in this book about St. Silouan the Athenite, one of our recent saints. It says, one evening in the beginning of his spiritual struggles, the cell of St. Silouan the Athenite was filled with an unusual light. It went through his whole body so that he became transparent and he was able to see everything within his chest cavity. A thought came to him to accept this as God's grace. His soul, however, became disturbed. He was at a loss. Uh, the feeling of contrition was gone. And during the time of prayer, he was overcome with laughter. He knocked his forehead with his fist. The laughter stopped. But the spirit of compunction did not return, nor that of repentance. Then he realized that the vision was not from God. Shortly afterwards, he saw evil spirits in front of him, and he in his ignorance conversed with them as if conversing with people. At times they said, now you are a saint, and at others, you will never be saved. When he asked them that why they were telling him contradictory things, they replied, we never tell the truth. It's a very visual image for what is going on inside of our heads all the time. All the time. We are unwittingly engaging with, with, with the demons. I can say it. Why? Because we don't have the awareness of what's going on inside of us. Maybe it's because we as modern people, we rely upon our mind for everything. This is where I'm supposed to figure out and discern everything. And so I have carte blanche acceptance of whatever my mind comes up with. That must be the right thing. Oh, except sometimes when I recognize that I sin. We rely so heavily upon our mind, upon our rational logic. We must have more of a realization of what's going on inside of us. What's happening inside of us? So if you want to move away from having a monologue or really a dialogue inside of your mind, the very first thing to do is to recognize it's happening. To recognize it as a conversation. So as you think through the course of your day, you leave the church, you have a thought come into your head, and you start to say, this is a conversation. Who am I conversing with? Imagine if we use that litmus test for every thought that came into our head. Instead of this is just me talking. Because why? The thought is always in my voice. The thought always sounds natural to me. And I think it's me speaking inside of my head. But if we started to have a little bit of a detachment from the thought, start to say, what is this thought? What are these words? There's another way to point it. Is this pointing me towards God or not? Because any thought that is self-hatred, any thought that it is I am worthless, I am horrible, that's not of God. That's an easy one if we have the discernment to see it and realize it as that. So the first step for us is that discernment, to see what's happening inside of our heads and not just accept it as this is me thinking. 
The next, the gospel was pretty clear. This only comes out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. These two magnificent swords that our Lord has given us. Prayer and fasting. And fasting is so profound because what it does is it cuts off our self-will. I want, but I won't. If we do fasting in the right way, if we understand fasting in the right way, because by cutting off our self-will, we're actually, what is the self-will that we're trying to cut off? Not the thing that wants to go towards God, the part of me that wants to go away from God, the part of me that says, no, I want and I'm going to have. So fasting is a very profound way for that. And prayer, prayer. The more that we pray, the more we have communion with God, the more we have communion with God, the more that we have God dwelling in us, the more that these things are banished from us. You hate your sin, you hate the ways that you fall in your brokenness, how much time of prayer do you have each and every day? Don't say that you're busy, because what's more important than being purified, being whole? The next thing that we do when we start to have that discernment of what's going on in our mind and we have some very harsh, evil thought that's in our head, we begin to see it as such, the next step is flee. Run. If you're walking down a street and you saw a band of thugs coming toward you, what would you do? But we don't realize those band of thugs are coming inside our head and using our voice and sounding like us. So we don't see it as such. We just accept them in, like opening the door to a bunch of thieves. St. Sophroni would call them my assassins, the thoughts coming into his head. They're there to assassinate us. Pause for a moment and think about some of the thoughts that have come across your mind and how they are having a killing effect upon you. So we flee, we run. What do we do? We run to God. When we realize that a thought in our head is not of God, we rush to prayer. Because engaging with the thought will do no good. Let's say the thought is, I'm a no good person. So maybe I'm, I don't like that thought. And so I say, yeah, but look, I did this, I do that, I have these virtues. What have I done by having that? I've just engaged in a dialogue. And who do you think is going to win the dialogue, myself or the devil? Who? Of course we know who. So we rush to God. We run to God, and what that means is quieting our mind and filling it with prayer. It's a very forceful thing that is needed. We say prayer in such a forceful way that no thought is in our head at all. Why? Because if, if our mind is under attack, we just need to get the attack repelled. We don't need to worry about anything else except getting that attack repelled. And so we rush to the prayer. We say the Jesus prayer very firmly, very forcefully, yelling it inside of ourselves so that nothing else is in our mind until only the prayer is there. Only the prayer is there. And it's no wonder why as we enter more and more into the spiritual life, we realize that's the safe way to live your whole life, constantly in the Jesus prayer. Right? This is why St. Paul told us to pray unceasingly, not just to remember God with our mental capacity, but to actually have God dwelling in us through prayer. 
So the last part of fighting against these thoughts that come inside of us is not having self-reliance. Don't trust your thoughts. I know that may be very countercultural to the world that we live in. Don't trust your thoughts. Just turn to prayer. Because I promise you, if your mind is filled with prayer, your life will work out fine. It really will. But instead we say, oh, but I need to think about that some more. I need to ponder this some more. And then we get ensnared and trapped again. We have our anger at others or we misinterpret situations, whatever it may be. My brothers and sisters, let us not be those who are tricked, who think that somehow all of this stuff of the demons and the devil is old people, old way of thinking. This is very present in our life right now. But thanks be to God, there's the other side as well. We have our guardian angel. We have a whole battalion of angels that are protecting us and working with us and all of the saints as well. Ask them for help. Ask your patron saint for help, any saint, Panagia, because this is a serious battle that we face. We read in the gospel about a little boy who is incredibly plagued by what he's enduring. And each of us, if we don't see ourselves in that child, we need to look more closely. What is my plague? What is my epilepsy, as it were? What is my lunacy, my insanity, my possession? Whatever that is, that's what needs prayer. And that's especially the area I should not trust my thoughts at all. For example, if you struggle with anger, if you ever have a negative thought about another person ever, immediately rush to prayer. Don't say, well, I should be angry at that person because that person da-da-da-da-da. You see? And through this, we will begin the spiritual battle in a new and a more bold way. We'll begin to see that the dialogues that are going on inside of us are not to our salvation, but to our detriment. And God will strengthen us and he will dwell in us as we enter into prayer. As an unrelated thing, I wanted to say a little bit more from last Sunday. So I'm going to change gears a little bit because I wanted to say how joyful it was all this last week. I can't tell you how many times, I don't know if you're just doing it in front of me, but people saying, may it be blessed. <laughs> May it be blessed. Because <laughs> I wanted to say one final note about that. I talked about many situations, kind of the situations of daily life, of going to work, of this or that. And it's important that we say, may it be blessed with each of those tiny little struggles. Because those little struggles, think of them as little ripples, little waves coming towards us. And we're saying, may it be blessed. May it be blessed. We're placing our trust in God that this situation he will work through. But every time that we do that, God is giving us blocks to build up this wall. Because as we're doing this again and again, day after day, moment after moment, saying, may it be blessed to all the little struggles, we will have a strong wall of protection. Because where we really need these words is when the situation is extreme. When we are laid off from our job when a loved one will no longer talk to us because of some situation or other. When the most extreme of things happen in our life, this is where we need these words. And as we build up that wall, bit by bit, or rather God himself builds that wall up within us by a daily practice of accepting everything that comes towards us. 
Then when these big things come, then we still have, with much pain in our heart, with much struggle, we strive towards these words to say, may it be blessed. I'll read one last passage from this book, and then I'll stop reading from it for you. (laughs) At every once in a while, God allows one thing and then another, and even sometimes in some ways he allows torments, sorrows, obstacles, acute pains. If in this situation, do you have the courage to say, may it be blessed, my God? If you have the courage, then the person as I was saying, is humbled as if he were dying before God, but automatically is resurrected. Exactly as the Lord said, he who humbles himself will be raised up. He's automatically redeemed. Automatically he enters that other sphere and now stands, understands that he is with God. The martyr is atop the flames and is being burned, but he is with God. It wasn't important if he, if he burned or if he didn't burn. It's not important whether they put him on the rack or whether they skinned him alive. Of course, it's us who are saying that, but more like stories that we read or hear, whereas they're real. It didn't bother him how much he would or would not be tortured, how much he would or wouldn't be martyred. That which interested him was not to lose Christ. That was the entire issue, and he surrendered himself to Christ with all his heart, saying, may it be blessed. Let us say the same thing. When the devil is bothering us and when other people bother us and when all those things come over us that we have to deal with in our lives, may it be blessed. I don't know how much you've tried it. Let's say that at one point you're ready to explode. There's one thing after another, this, then that, and the other. As we said, like someone is intentionally loading them onto you. And as if it were not enough, there's the last straw. Something else comes up, and people say, that's just what I needed. And one is ready to explode. So at this moment, the more stressful things are, the more it seems that someone's loading these things on you on purpose, the more you should be ready inside, and more disposed you should say, be to say, may it be blessed. With this simple sentence, neither short nor long, you resurrect your soul, you resurrect your existence. With this simple sentence, you die. You don't do it to yourself. Simply say the sentence and you're positioned accordingly. God does the work. In actual deed, you die with Christ and are indeed resurrected. May we be resurrected against all the wiles of the devil that he may try to throw at us because we cling to God and we say indeed, may it be blessed. Amen. Amen.